0: I'm stuck in the gap. There's that moment after you do something and before you can fully realize the potential of that act. In late November, I did my first TEDx talk. My idea? Open body language is the key to broadening your network. If you've ever heard me talk about croissants versus bagels or read my book, you know why the last line was, stop bageling and be the croissant. By all accounts, it was well received. I felt proud and relieved. For several days after, I had this impulse to keep rehearsing. I had never worked so hard to make eight minutes look easy, and now I wait. I won't know the full impact of this TEDx opportunity until the official video is released. It could be career-changing. It could help a million people shift how they approach networking. I know doing a TEDx talk gives me additional credibility, and the footage is a great way to showcase my speaking. But... Do I wait to see how things turn out or do I use this time in the gap as productively as possible? I've chosen the latter and began planning for this in-between moment even before giving my TEDx talk. I know that left a chance, the likelihood of my video being seen by even 10,000 people is fairly low. I know that TEDx videos with lots of views and especially comments are more likely to be noticed by TED.com. My TEDx talk elevated to that platform would be the best opportunity to help lots of people become more open, think croissant, and resist default closed body language, think bagel. And that's why I started working on my TEDx launch team even before the talk had been recorded. I set up a special landing page at robbysamuels.com forward slash TEDx launch team and recorded a short thank you video where I share everything I've learned about the TEDx application process. Since my TEDx talk, I've been reaching out to my network, often one by one, to share the live stream replay of my talk and ask them to join my launch team. I know I won't be in this gap forever, and I'm preparing myself to fully realize the potential of this opportunity. Your challenge for this week. If you follow my advice over the last few years, you likely know how to make a great connection or two when you're at an event. Unfortunately, you won't know right away if that chance encounter will lead to great opportunities. There's a gap between meeting a person and them becoming a new client, new friend, or new collaborator. Do you sit back and let chance dictate how life turns out, or do you use the time and the gap productively? Map out a series of touch points that you do to nurture this nascent connection over the next year. Be intentional about how you want this relationship to grow. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is a soft spot for the underserved and underrepresented in the high-tech community. Founder of Carlton PR and Marketing, Innovation Nights, and Innovation Women, she has been called Boston's Innovation Den Mother and a Startup Fairy Godmother. She has helped more than 1,400 new products launch and has connected more than 1,000 women to speaking engagements. A speaker herself, she regularly presents on PR, social media, community building, product launches, public speaking, and women's issues. Her work has been acknowledged by many institutions, including in 2017 when PR News called her a game changer. Please join me in welcoming Bobby Carlton. Hi! Bobby. thank you so much for joining us from your office in the Boston area. Thrilled to have you here. And uh, as you know, this is a show about uh, leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead?
1: I'm going to take the second part of that question first because... I don't tend to think of myself as a leader, I tend to think of myself more as a community builder. And so the thing about communities is that it's a case of how people can work together. And I think part of that came about from when I started Mass Innovation Nights. Um, That's our monthly new product launch party and networking event in the Boston market, which I started, oh my goodness, 11 years ago uh time flies when you're having fun but I started that event and the first event 200 people showed up and helped support local startups and entrepreneurs and I was like looking around the room that night and going all these people showed up because I asked them to that was exciting and kind of a revelation for me
0: yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. Like you, you're coming at this very much with a community focus, and I can see how once you realize that was a superpower of yours that you could put out a call and people showed up, um, you start to then realize, oh, how do I, you know, keep doing this? And and like, at what point did you did you realize like this is a thing I can keep sustainably doing?
1: <laughs> I, I definitely realized it that first night. Um, I didn't have a huge intention in terms of going forward and having this be a thing every single month for 11 years. Um, but looking around at the time, you have to think back at what the marketplace was like. It was 2009. The market had fallen off a cliff in 2008. There was a lot of panic, a lot of people without jobs, including me. And so this particular thing that I was doing, I looked around and said, okay, I can make this work and I can make this support me. And as well, at the same time, you're supporting the community.
0: So I want to pick at this piece where you, would you still today not call yourself a leader or is this sort of more, you hadn't to that degree?
1: I think it's community builder. I think it's getting other people together to be more powerful than we are as uh, individuals. Now, at the same time, I do have three companies and I tend to lead those. Um, you know, We're focused on supporting our clients who are all startups and small businesses in the local Boston area for Carlton PR marketing. Um, Innovation Nights is not only serving startups and small businesses, but it's also serving large companies that want to connect with the startup community as well as showcase their beautiful locations and um, bring people in say, who can look around and say, oh, I can see myself working here. And then Innovation Women is really, I think, where right now I'm focusing a lot of my leadership skills in helping women get more speaking engagements and more visibility that helps drive their careers.
0: Yeah, I think um, there's a piece here where it's like bringing people together to do more than they can on their own. That's to me, it sounds like, I mean, I I think that we also be definition of a leader, community builder. Um, I think it's awesome. And and you have a track record. I honestly didn't realize that it was, I wanna use the word just 11 years, which I don't mean to minimize the time, But I've known you that entire time, and I feel like you were forced to be reckoned with when I first knew of you. Um, And I'm almost thinking I must have met you early on in all of this and crossed paths at you. So you very quickly came on the Boston scene. And and to hear you tell it, you're starting from a deficit. You weren't employed. You just had this little idea. You didn't think it was going to be grow to this thing that you'd still be doing 11 years later. Um, The potential was untapped, you just sort of put yourself out there. Why did you make that decision? Like, I think in that moment, everyone else is just trying to go to these endless networking events where everyone's unemployed <laughs> and trying to network with each other and not finding any, you know, any way forward. But you're like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something new. I'm going to create something that has never existed before. And I'm going to tell people to come. And then, then surprisingly, you were like, wow, they did. But why, before you knew it would be successful, what was the spark that led you to think this is a thing?
1: Oh, I, I think a lot of it was early social media. Um, I looked at social media, I looked at Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn, and well, early on, uh, MySpace and Friendster and all those other fun social medias that didn't survive. And I looked at them and saw immediately the connection to public relations. And public relations had been my career. I mean, I'm no spring chicken. I've been you know around the block a few times. And when I was unemployed in 2008, I had more than 20 years of experience. So, you know, I'd been working in public relations. I had been working in digital marketing and I saw social media and said, oh, there we go. That's, That's our thing right there. It was to me immediately apparent what social media could do and how it would change public relations as an industry forever. And I was shocked, like other people dismissed it. You know, there were a lot of people who were like, that's a toy, that's for kids. You know, that's not for grownups, that's not for marketing. And I get a little incensed, you know, when I get a little incensed, I do something, get myself into trouble all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, I find uh, also what's so interesting is that you're doing something was actually not online. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, um, you were like, "This thing is really powerful. We should be making more use of it." Let's all meet in person, um, which you know it, today is is something you know no one does, and yet people who do it value it. Ah,
1: uh, no, 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 no. All right, let's let's take a step back. Digital marketing was. Exploding it was huge and social media is a part of that because it's putting the power of digital marketing in the hands of the individual But one of the reasons that I started innovation women uh, a few years ago is I said, okay, you know, everybody's all excited about digital marketing They're all excited about social media, but they're not seeing what this is doing to live events and live events and experiential marketing is the next wave if you think about it from the point of view of a sales funnel we are throwing all of these leads in the top of our funnel through digital marketing through social media Mm -hmm. and then we filter them down through our funnel we're qualifying them we're marketing to them we're sending them email newsletters and we're engaging with them but For most products, there still comes a point where you have to engage with that person face to face, whether it's over the phone and it's telesales or it's a giant event, you need to talk to that person and engage with them and show them a demo and and show them how other people use their products. So trade shows, meetups, things that you find on Eventbrite. Um, I don't know if you know it, but there are half a million meetups that happen every month.
0: Yeah. So I, I wasn't arguing. <laughs> yeah, Bobby, I, I, I think I hit a, <laughs> hit a nerve and I <laughs> sent you down a path. But uh, you have to realize you're talking to the person who ran a meetup for 11 years. And I totally I wrote a book about conferences and networking. I get it. I think most people don't value the average person, <clears throat> everything you just said, that they think they can manage their business without ever picking up a phone. Um, they feel like they can just like tweet things and like things will just magically happen. At a point where you saw the power of social media, you still thought the way we're going to really capitalize on this moment is to bring people together. And I think that's remarkable. And and I mean, 2007 is when I started socializing for justice. And that ran for 11 years uh, till 2018. And so similarly, like there was a moment where I think people were really open to meetups. They were like, it was a newer thing. People were looking for things to do. The RSVP count was a lot more accurate back then (laughs) than it is today, where people just sort of like, yeah, I'm going, and they don't actually have any intention to show up. Um, But it's very powerful what you did and that you nurtured it all this time. I mean, I think that you built an entire new network because of that one event you did. And, you know, a lot of people probably would not approach it the same way. What, what, what do you think was the driving force behind you that kept you going? Because you weren't making money initially. So like, h- how did you figure out like, okay, even if I can't monetize this right away, there's, there's considerable value in doing this?
1: It's back to the community. There's always value in community. There's always value in connecting with people. There's always value in putting a whole bunch of people in a room and watching magic happen. You know, the the more times you're face to face with somebody, the stronger the connection is to them, the stronger the engagement. So, you know, it's like, even if, you know, there's no sponsors that come around or whatever, I'm still deriving value and, and good place in my heart. You know, it's like, I have people that will run across Kendall Square to give me a hug and an update about their startup. The joke on my team is if we go into Kendall Square, we have to build in an extra half hour for hugging. And, you know, these are people that often poured everything they had into creating a product and bringing it to market. And by the time they are ready to launch it, they're exhausted, they're out of resources, and they're like, what do I need? I need one person to do something. That helps me connect with an investor, a customer, a community, a beta user, Mm. and Mass Innovation Nights does that for them. So, you know, it's really a community that I think appreciates what it is we do for them. And I think a lot of people look back and, and they will tell us it was a change agent for them and their business.
0: Yeah, no, it's really, really powerful what you're describing. What was most challenging as you were getting it off the ground and and developing it? Like you say, team, I, that wasn't something you started with. No. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, and and what was your first hire? Like, how did you know that you needed someone else? And and what was that role? That's uh, one way to think of this question. Uh,
1: so, with the three companies, I mean, I had I had partnered up with other people who were also unemployed. So, I'm not going to call any of those really my first hire. For Mass Innovation Nights, the first hire is the person who is currently the executive director for Innovation Nights, Krista Navini. Uh, She was introduced to me by a um, mutual friend. I talked to her and I was like, oh, I would give anything to be able to hire you right now, but I can't. The next day, I had a client who needed me to step in as their interim CMO. And all of a sudden, I had the means and the need to hire Kristen. And I called her up, like, everything I told you yesterday, totalize. You know, now we're going to be hiring you and you're going to start on Monday. Is that okay? And she, bless her soul, said yes. And so she's been working with me that whole time.
0: That's amazing. It feels like. I, I feel like every story uh, th- here, one through line is going to be the relationships that you've made, like every challenge. I, I feel like if I ask you for another challenge, the answer is going to be a relationship that solved it. Um, I, and I really believe that like relationships can solve any business challenge. And it's a, it's a mindset of abundance that I think you embody and have lived.
1: It's interesting. Kristen and I, every once in a while, um, we'll be doing an innovation night that requires certain kinds of companies. Like, oh, we're going to do an event that has all women founders or, oh, we're going to do an event that needs all new products that are artificial intelligence or um, wearables or, you know, something specific. And for most mass innovation nights, we have a queue of companies that are on a wait list and are waiting to go. But when a sponsor wants a particular type of product we have to go out searching through the network. I mean, often we can comb through the products that are on the wait list, but a lot of times we have to go looking. And there are times when it's like, okay, we're going to be putting up the next um, group tomorrow, the cohort, and we only have eight or seven or six, and we need 10. That's our magic number. And I'll be like, don't worry about it. They will come to us. And they do. We do. It's amazing. Usually, like when we get panicky and we start looking, and we're like, "Oh, you know, tapping every everybody we know and shaking every tree," we'll end up with like twelve or thirteen, like because huh. they just come to us. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I I think the um, the network, the the giving, uh, the the giving nature, the fact that you were creating a platform for others to thrive and really making some change in their life. Like the goodwill, I think is the way I would think of it um, that you've, you've invested in particularly you've you've been in Boston. It, did you grow up in Boston or no. are you a so you're Boston transfer? All right. So I'm Long Island. So
1: upstate for me.
0: All right. So we'll, we'll, we'll claim New York city in a, in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, all right. So we've got, um, we've got the idea of, you know, coming here and building roots. And I think, you know, You've gone deep into, into Boston, but are you also then networked because of this? I mean, I imagine if you don't see yourself as a leader, you are seen as a leader in this sort of scene. And are you now networked obviously on a national and international level as well? And There's like yeah. a conversation happening up in the clouds.
1: Yeah. And some of it comes from the leadership in Boston. So uh, when Startup America came to Boston and was looking for people to be on their advisory board they invited me because they said oh if it's startups and it's Boston you have to talk to Bobby mm-hmm. so you get known for something you get a brand and people come to you um there was a company that was a division of um Steelcase. they made office furniture and they were doing office furniture specifically for startups and they said whenever you search on Boston and innovation Bobby Carlton appears. So they had to talk with me and I made connections for them out throughout the community. So being known for something, you know, if those people come to town, you get the, you get the call and you get the referrals. Now, when people are looking for diversity on stage, when they're looking for gender equity, if there's an article that shows up about Uh, conference, not having enough women on stage, someone will forward it to me. Yeah. It's like, there are some um, articles that I've seen. uh, Like I will get 40 or 50 people forwarding it to me. You Uh need to see this. Thank Uh you. I've got it here. There's like 16 different ones that came in ahead of you, but I don't say it to anybody because someday everybody's going to go, Oh, someone will send it to Bobby and no one will. So.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know this testament to the the personal brand you built up. And I think it's clever. Uh, innovation is now a, a big, huge buzzword. But I imagine 11 years ago, was it used as much? I feel like, yeah. <clears throat> you know, maybe in the space you were in, but now I feel like everyone's using it. Like, it, it's, I a, think it's, it's a little
1: overused. Um, and but it's I searchable. <laughs> say,
0: there, was,
1: there was the whole conversation, I would say about five years ago, is it overused and should I stop using it? Like no, kind of have a brand, kind of need yeah. to keep going. At one point, I bought like a whole bunch of innovation uh, domain names, so I still have a whole bunch of them ready for my next project. But I have uh, a person on my team whose job it is to tell me not to start another company.
0: <laughs> that's important. <laughs> that's important. I think that's actually a really good takeaway. Is sometimes you need someone to help you keep focus and finish yes. the work you have in front of you. Um, when did you realize that the uh, work you're doing around the more um diverse and equitable conference panels was something that you needed to take a step forward and and like be more present with and and take well really take an action, not just talk about it, but you've made a real difference in that area. How did you sort of see that as a problem? I mean, I guess just showing up at a conference, you see it as a problem. (laughs) But then how did you realize that you were a solution to the problem and that you then could make that difference?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been doing mass innovation nights for several years and mass innovation nights for people that aren't familiar with it is a social media powered event. The idea is that we get a whole bunch of people in a room and ask them to tap their social networks on behalf on behalf of local startups and entrepreneurs. So you get 200 people in the room and you point them in a certain direction and say, hey, everybody, tweet about that new product. And it, it's fine if you're not into social media. We still, we still love you. And all you need to do is, is use your voice, use your, your network, and you can tell somebody about the cool new products. So because of all that, I pack a lot of social media power in my personal pocket, I have a large following on Twitter, uh, a good-sized network on LinkedIn and Facebook. So people ask me to go to events, and when they do, I'm live tweeting. I'm sharing with my network, and so people follow me to sign, to find out what's happening at events. And I spent a lot of time sitting in the audience, watching a lot of really great events, except for the fact they were not diverse. Um, And they could have been so much better if they had more voices on stage, more different perspectives. And once you start noticing something like that, you can't go back. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, you just keep seeing it. And frankly, it keeps getting worse. And you, and you think to yourself, This will stop. And no, it won't. It won't magically stop. You have to do something about it. So um, there were a few, I'll call them precipitating events, things that ratcheted up my ire to a uh, somewhat stratospheric level. Um, I was asked to speak on a panel that, um, on a topic I knew nothing about uh, HTML five. I'm in marketing. I know how to spell that. And so I, you know, recommended somebody who actually knew something about the topic. And I asked, why would you ever ask me to be a panelist on that topic? It's not something I know anything about. They said, well, we know we have an all-male panel and we need a woman. Like, Uh, so I'm your token woman, number one. Number two, do you not know any other women? Like, seriously? And the answer was basically no. Wow. (laughs) So, you know, I was making introductions. And as I was kind of toying with the idea of doing something, um, I kept making introductions in person. I would Know, see an event that had no women speakers. I would approach the event manager and I would say, Hey, let me help you. Let me make an introduction. And many of them were very grateful. Many of them were not and were kind of irked with me. Um, So, you know, I realized there was a need uh, and a big hole in the marketplace and I could do something about it. So that's when I did the crowdfunding for it. And um, at first, I was only going to do it for Boston, but the crowdfunding went so well, we soon and frankly immediately had people all over the world. So I had to change a little bit the business model and how I delivered value for our speakers. And so, um, yeah, that's what we've been doing the last few years.
0: That's amazing. And how many people are now part of that
1: So we have a mailing list of about 12,000. We have over a thousand connections that we know of that we've made. Um, And the reason I say it that way is because event managers will book speakers far into the future. So there are a lot of bookings that I just don't know they've happened yet that are happening on our platform or happening off our platform because somebody went in, searched the database, And connected directly with a speaker. And I just don't know that it happened. Now Mm -hmm. we have new functionality where event managers can go in, put up a call for speakers, and the speakers can apply. And if the event manager just puts a call to uh, connection to their website, I might never know that a speaker has applied. So I can't Can't track it. Yes. Right. But a big part of what we're doing is actually promoting what the speakers are doing. And that's kind of a key I don't think other platforms think about. They're just making the connection and walking away. We want to actually take it full circle and promote the events and promote the speakers. Because the more speaking you do, the more speaking you get. And the more events that are rewarded for diversity on stage, the more we'll see.
0: That's so powerful. I, th- You know, um, part of my history is, you know, uh, there was a moment when I started to think about um, taking medical intervention so that I would actually look like the man that I thought that I was. And I had this like, oh, wow, then I'm going to not just male privilege, but I was going to be this white guy. And I was socialized in this like queer feminist space where like a lot of problems in the world can be sort of pointed at white men for the problem as the cause. And so I particularly kept thinking about like my ability to get invited to places like panels. And so part of having responsibility is... Is like using that that like you know having that privilege and using it responsibly, and so I have you know as whether it's a podcast guest or whether I'm being invited to a panel, I'll quiz them on who else is in the panel, who else have you been interviewing? I'll look and I'll I'll pose that same question that you sounds like you were asking these people early on, which just like, hey, you know, are you looking like who's your ideal you know speaker or who's your ideal guest? Huh? Okay, well, I, I know some women that fit that. Would, would that would you like? And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, women. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always like, uh, wow, it's like there there could be great intentionality, but like zero follow through because they just have done none of the work to build the relationships that would lead them to get the kind of referrals that they are saying they want. And they think it's going to be magical. Kind of like you said, you thought it would just like, hopefully one day they'll just fix it. But like people like you and me intervening is what fixes this. Somebody needs to actually say... Hey, I want to like call a flag on this and say "Hmm, I'm not sure. Like, you know, I love the term "mannel." I know you've got a no mannel campaign. That you're say something about that because I just think it's so important for us to like have language to talk about it.
1: Yeah. So a mannel is an all male panel. M A N E L, and um, there are there are great terms out there in the marketplace for them, and uh, wonderful people who help point out the all male panels. So. One of my favorites is a Tumblr called congrats, you have an all-male panel. Um, Gender Avenger actually has a a mobile app that you can use to um, kind of count who's on a panel and figure out the percentages of uh, white males and and such on the panels. But we're putting together a campaign, we're calling it the no Mannel zone, and asking venues, conferences, organizations, even regions, to declare themselves no-mantle zones. A lot of conferences actually do have language where they discourage or outright forbid all-male panels. But I think a lot of them kind of need a way to talk about it and publicize the good work that they're doing. So that's what we're doing is we're creating a, a group of people who are using a logo and the term no-mantle zone to give a, a quick shorthand for uh, having more diverse and inclusive people on stage.
0: Well, I think as a consumer, it helps us because then we could vote with our dollars to support the organizations that are choosing that and, are, and saying like, we want you to keep doing that. You know, it takes effort yeah. and maybe that would inspire the rest of them to follow suit. So I think it's, it's a brilliant piece of PR that you've got there.
1: I actually will point out some other um, incentive for organizations to be more inclusive. And, you know, from an outright business point of view, it makes more sense to have more inclusive people, be more inclusive with who you put on stage. Because what you're doing then is you're expanding your network and expanding the number of people who know about your event and who know someone who is on stage at your event. So the more inclusive you are on stage, the more inclusive you will be in terms of the audience and the guests. And quite frankly, the more you will get in terms of butts in seats. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this is a ticket sales strategy. You have to actually look at this from a business point of view as well. If you are a business that is in the business of putting on conferences and events, You want to have different people on stage. And if you don't, well, you're probably gonna have to be budgeting for some extra PR dollars or social media dollars when one of these organizations finds out. Anybody can whip out their phone and take a picture of your all-male panel and post it on Congrats, you have an all-male panel, complete with a picture of David Hasselhoff giving you the thumbs up. You know, it's it's kind of crazy what they've done there, but you know, an all-male panel is very, very obvious.
0: Yes. Yes, it is. This is great. So um, I, I want to switch gears a tiny bit and talk about the network you've built and how you are nurturing and sustaining that network. So, you know, you've been at this for over a decade. Uh, in Boston, you've got these amazing sort of concentric circles that you've built of, of people that you know well and people who know you well and people who've heard of you how are you nurturing not just that immediate circle, but like that second and third sort of layers out? Um, you have this monthly event uh, so that the in-person gathering, I think is brilliant. Are you doing other like dinners, salons, do you do other in-person events? Are you, do you, have a, do you have a habit of how you reach out and connect with people? Are you forwarding other people articles like they're forwarding to you, <laughs> you know, like right, right back at you, here's one for you. Um, so, so like, what's your habit or your, practice your philosophy around the nurturing and sustaining of your larger community?
1: Yep. So um, I'm a marketer, so there's some marketing involved here. Um, We have weekly newsletters for both Mass Innovation Nights and for Innovation Women, and they go out once a week. Um, Innovation Women, every week I'm writing an introduction, whether it's my rant of the week or advice or just something personal. Uh, I'm writing that every single week. Uh, it usually comes out on Friday mornings at 9 a.m. So sometimes I'm writing it at 5 a.m. on Friday mornings and sometimes I'm writing it at midnight on Thursday night. But every single week I'm sending something out to our community via email. Um, we also do public relations. Um and you know, it's like media co- coverage and things like that for both organizations. So there's a bunch of traditional PR. At a personal level, I really have to admit, I'm, I'm so busy often supporting other people's events that I don't do that many of my own. So I will go to someone else's events. I'll promote their other events. So it's more I'm focused on, I do a few things and I do them well and then i support other people when they're doing something.
0: Well, i think you just actually landed on something really important, which is you don't always you don't have to be the one who's creating something all the time yes. if you are actively showing up to other people's stuff. Yep. Um, you know, i'm learning this as an author. I'm currently on five book launches. My book came out 2 years ago and i feel like i'm still paying back all the support that I got. <laughs> like I don't know how many years it'll take before I I, I feel comfortable saying no to someone <laughs> around a launch request because I'm just like, oh my God, yes, I know what that's like. I will be there for you. What do you need? Here's all my tips. Here's your review. What else can I do? How can I help promote you? Because I I I believe in the process of what they're doing. And it feels like you, particularly because you are physically showing up to a lot of these events, not just promoting them with like an online push. Um, I mean, like, yeah, there's this thing happening. You're like going to I'm, this is where you and I keep crossing paths <laughs> at these events that you go to. Yeah, so I think it's um that's still another way of nurturing your network, right? It's seeing yep, what ca- up. what matters to them and and showing up to it.
1: Yep, showing up and using my social media network um, for the benefit of others. So I'll show up, I'll take pictures, I'll share them. Like, here's where I'm at tonight. Uh, and that is being helpful to other people as well. Um, you know, it's like my kids are a little bit older. It's a little bit easier for me to get out of the house. Uh, and at the same time, I have to admit it's exhausting. I am not, I'm not an extrovert. So for me, events are they're tiring. You know, it's like, I have to go off and be by myself in terms of recovery afterwards. Uh, I know a lot of people who are like, wait a second, you're not an extrovert. Like,
0: nope. Well, you're, you're quite the outgoing introvert then, because yes, I have to be, I mean, I think for you to be showing up and being that present and seen um, it, that takes a certain amount of effort, but I, but I hear here, it takes a lot to recharge from that. I actually think it's a privilege. I'm an outgoing extrovert, and I think it's a privilege to be an outgoing extrovert because it doesn't take the same level of effort, right? Like, There's there's a benefit for being out in the world all the time, as you've learned, (laughs) but like, I don't have the cost of the recovery time as much as you do. So I think it's another way of looking at privilege. But um, I'm amazed to hear that you're an introvert because you are so present in so many ways for other people and uh, in-person events. Do you have a strategy for how you approach them, or is it just because you're well known, people come to you and say hello? Like,
1: yeah, there's a there's a lot of that. Um, I do get a lot of people approaching me in the Boston market, so uh, it's uh, it's a hard one uh, thing. You know, it's like being local here, but for Innovation Women, I'm you know I'm traveling, I'm outside the Boston market. And I still will get people like, oh, Bobby, I know you. And then I have to figure out how the heck they know me. (laughs) It's like, I really don't know often how they know me. But I think a lot of it is the social network. It's the newsletters. um, And it does make a difference when you have made the effort first to get yourself out there and be known. Um, I spent my early career putting other people on stage. That was what my job was. So I never had to do it myself. And when I started Innovation Nights, I think it was that first night realizing, oh, gosh, darn, I have to be the one on stage. Oh, I don't want to do this. And some of those early videos are painful to watch. I'm like melting. And I'm sweating through my clothes. I'm not looking super happy. And I really don't know what I'm doing. But over time, the practice, you get more comfortable with it. And you go to other events and you pick up tips from other speakers. And all of a sudden, it's like people pay me to come and speak now. And I'm just blown away by that. But it's practice. It's 11 years of practice.
0: Yeah. Showing up, uh, t- taking, taking it to the next level, learning from the experience.
1: Taking mental notes. Yeah. And also going to school. Basically every single day on everything around you.
0: I love it. I love it. So one of my favorite questions is our wrap-up question. Uh, if we are reconnecting a year from now, and I'm thrilled to know that I, I don't have to wait a year to see you again, but if we're connecting a year from now and we were reflecting on all of your successes from the previous year, what are we going to be toasting? What will what what are the accomplishments that you're most looking forward to in the year ahead?
1: Hiring. <laughs> More help. <laughs> I want innovation women in particular to grow. One of my goals is to have 10,000 women on the platform and to make sure that each and every one of them is out speaking and getting the, the value of public speaking, that they're able to leverage that value, that they're able to connect with the audiences that they want to connect with and to benefit in terms of pay equity. I mean, I have big dreams in terms of what innovation women can accomplish. And I do feel like if we get enough women on stage where that it is no longer remarkable, it will really change how we all think about gender and who the leaders are.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I think you're you're clearly on the way to that. So um, how can people find you and follow your work, Bobby? <laughs>
1: I have so many me's, um, Bobby C, B-O-B-B-I-E-C on Twitter, or Women Inno on Twitter, Twitter and Instagram, uh, Mass Innovation Nights, you can basically you Google my name and a whole bunch of stuff will come up and you can pick your choose.
0: Awesome. We will have a bunch of links, including to Innovation Women, on the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really great conversation.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bobby. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something to put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come? Share it resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 174. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 170 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. And as I mentioned, I'm stuck in the gap and could really use your help. Are you willing to write a comment and share my official TEDx talk video once it's released? Thank you. Join my TEDx launch team at robbysamuels.com forward slash TEDx launch team, and I'll be in touch. Did you catch that there's a replay available of the live stream? If you'd like to see a sneak peek of my talk, email me at robbie at com and I'll share the link. I'm not sharing this link publicly because I do want the focus to be on the official video. If you enjoyed this episode with Bobby, please share with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page, at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on the way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an amazing week.